welcome back to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. And I'm coming at you tonight live on our first ever Conversations with a Calvinist conversation live. We are coming at you tonight with two gentlemen who are going to be having a conversation about the subject of money and ministry. We have Conley Owens and Steve Cavalera. Conley is the author of The Dorian Principle a biblical response to the commercialization of Christianity. He is also a pastor at Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church and a senior software engineer at Google. He lives with his wife and seven children in Sunnyvale, California. Joining me also Eight children tonight, now. Eight children now. Well, congratulations. Yes, congratulations. I've had one more since the last time we spoke. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Well, joining me tonight is also Steve Cavallaro. He received his MDiv and Master's in Counseling from RTS, that's Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. He is a pastor at the Desert Springs Presbyterian Church. And no, we're not having a debate about baptism, but maybe next time. Uh, but we will be. <laughs> he is the pastor of uh, Desert, Spring, uh, Desert Springs Presbyterian Church. He and his wife have four children, and he is currently on sabbatical, which is why he gets to wear a really cool t-shirt. We talked about that before the program began. He's wearing a really super cool t-shirt because he is on sabbatical. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in with me and being on Conversations with the Calvinists. Yeah, thanks for having us. Here. Yes, sir. Now, as many of you know, Conley has been on the program before. He was on the show a while back. We discussed his book, The Dorian Principle. I had many questions for Conley. There were a few areas where I felt like maybe we nuanced things a little differently, but, but we certainly uh, agreed that the overall idea of the book is something that is very important, something that we needed to discuss, and something that Christians need to understand. It hits on some issues that are important and deserve more conversations. Well, tonight we're going to have one of those conversations, and we're doing it live. And because we're doing it live, we want you to be involved, and I'm going to say this several times throughout the program. Tonight is all about hearing these men and their positions, but it's also about having you, the audience, be involved in the show. So throughout tonight's show, as you hear these men say things, if you have a question that you would like clarification or maybe to make a point, or maybe you even have an argument that you'd like to make, please send those questions in. If you're watching this via YouTube, we have on the YouTube page, I'm looking at it right now, we have a place where you can uh, send in a message. I can see that message and I will relay it to the speakers. Also, if you're watching this on Facebook, you can put it down in the Facebook message. I see Eddie Exposito, he's down there right now. He said something about, uh, okay, nothing. He, he's just making a joke. I love Eddie, he's a buddy of mine. He's been on the program before as well. And uh, you can leave a uh, question on the Facebook Messenger, or not Messenger, but on the Facebook comments, and I will see that as well, and I will be moderating those questions as we go. Now, the description of the book, The Dorian Principle, that was written by Conley Owen, says this. I'm just going to read directly from the description. It says, quote, Many rightly condemn the wealth amassed by false teachers, but at a fundamental level, little differentiates their practices from those of legitimate ministries. Seminaries, Christian publishers, and other church and parachurch organizations all engage in the commerce of exchanging religious instruction for money. Now more than ever, the church must turn to the Word of God to find wisdom 
on these matters. Now, the, the description goes on, but I just took that particular sentence out because that's what we're doing tonight. We're, we're continuing the conversation that the book began. The book begins the conversation on the subject of money and ministry, particularly about the issue of the freely giving of Christian teaching. And that would include freely giving not only in the area of preaching, but also things like conferences, uh, uh, seminary classes, things like that. The idea of ministry as being given freely and being supported through, as I understand in the book, co-labor rather than reciprocity. Am I being fair to the book, Conley? Am I describing it well? Uh, yes. Yes, that's a fair summary. Okay. Now, I am sure that there are many areas that Steve and Conley would agree and I'm sure there are many areas where they would shake hands and say we, we are, are in agreement. But tonight, we want to focus on an area of disagreement, not to be disagreeable for disagreement's sake, but because, as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. And so tonight, we're going to specifically be talking about the subject of Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. We're going to ask the question, is this passage meant to be descriptive or prescriptive. Now, before we even get into the conversation, I want to describe what that means, because perhaps some of you in the audience aren't familiar with how that term is used or how those terms are used. And let me just describe what, we're, what we mean by prescriptive versus descriptive. A passage is descriptive if it simply is describing something that has happened, while a passage is prescriptive if it is specifically teaching that something should happen. Simply put, is this a description or a command? Is this passage describing something or is it prescribing a behavior that all Christians are commanded to follow? And so when we look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, it says this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now, Conley will be taking the prescriptive argument, particularly for the latter portion of the passage where it says freely you have received, freely give, and he's going to argue that that is prescriptive for all Christians at all times. Steve is going to be arguing that this is a descriptive passage and not necessarily meant to be prescriptive for all time. I think that's fair, gentlemen. Is that true? Yes. Am that I sounds being good. Fair? Okay, yes. good. All right. Each of you are going to begin with a 12-minute statement of your position. You're not going to be interrupted. Both uh, myself and the other partner are going to simply be quiet and listen to you give your opening statement. Afterwards, we're going to go right into an open exchange of questions and answers, during which I may be moderating it somewhat. If there's anyone talking over the other, I may come in and, and ask you guys to, to, uh, to, to let the other person have their time. And later in the show, we're going to be engaging with listener questions. So that's the, that's the, the, the program for tonight. This is not a formal debate. We're not going to have what would normally be rebuttals and cross-examinations and things like that. But we do want to give each person an opportunity to freely state their position first and foremost have that be the first thing that we do. And after they've stated their position, give them an opportunity to have a free exchange of questions, answers, and ideas. So I've decided tonight that I'm going to ask Conley to go first because he's taking the position, the positive position, that this is positively prescriptive. 
And then um, we're going to allow Steve the second part where he's going to come in and take the position and say, no, it's not prescriptive, therefore taking in a sense, if, if this were a debate, be the negative position and say, no, it's not prescriptive. In fact, it is descriptive. And so Conley, I'm going to give you, I'm going to set the clock at 12 minutes. If you go a little over, that's no big deal, but I'm going to let you know when you're right around 12 minutes, that way you, you'll know to start wrapping it up. Is that okay, my friend? Sounds good. All right, my friend, I'm going to go ahead and hit the clock and you are ready. Actually, stop right there. Let me pray for you both. All right, <laughs> Let's thank do that you. Real quick. Father in heaven, we thank you for these men. We thank you for this opportunity to hear them uh, talk about your word. What a blessing it is to have men who care enough about the word to come together and actually want to discuss what it means and what it says to us today. I pray, Lord, for Steve. I pray for Conley that you would bless both of them with a clear mind, a clear voice, that our internet would hold up, that those who are listening would be engaged. Lord, that you would be glorified in this opportunity to talk about your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Conley, your time begins now. All right. Well, thank you, Keith, for organizing this. I appreciate it. And thank you, Steve, for agreeing to do this. Um, there are a lot of people who have read the book and been pretty surprised by its contents, and they're waiting for someone to interact with it before they make a judgment on uh, what it says. So I hope this goes a long way in helping those people. Also, thank you for uh, your blog post uh, where you reviewed the book. Um, while I still stand by everything I said, I think it did a fair job at uh, pointing out a lot of the shortcomings of the presentation. Um, so uh, one point of clarification too, is that I think that one of the, uh, the best evidences that, this is a, that there are prescriptions here for us in the command freely give is the fact that you have uh, the rest of scripture confirming that. However, for the uh, sake of a focused discussion, I'm going to be just conceding all that so we can focus on Matthew 10, 8. And I hope that anyone that wants to see uh, everything else I have to say would go and uh, check the book out. Uh, another, another thing uh, we're thinking about is the fact that uh, narratives are definitionally descriptive. So, you know, there's a sense in which we both agree that this is a descriptive passage. And then on top of that, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So there's another sense in which all of scripture uh, has uh, prescriptive imp implications. All of it has the capacity for rebuke. So uh, the question isn't so much whether it's prescriptive or not. It's what prescriptions does it have for us? Uh, I would not say that uh, raise the dead is a prescription for us, but I would say freely give is. And so in answering this, uh, context is king, but there's always a danger of uh, over-contextualizing so that we would limit this just to one very narrow audience. I'm sure many people who are watching uh, know someone who might say that the Old Testament was just for the Jewish people and therefore it doesn't apply to us today. And you always have that kind of uh, Marcionite response to scripture that would uh, toss out parts, but that, that can't be our approach. Um, rather, we need to find all of the uh, firm implications of scripture. We need to find what uh, is called in the Westminster Confession, the good and necessary consequences. And considering uh, what Jesus said to uh, very often, he would say, have you not read? When he was speaking to the Sadducees, uh, arguing for the resurrection, he said, God is the God of the living. And he also said that uh, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So therefore, there's a resurrection. He said, have you not read? Now, I think if he had never said that, and you were to present that to someone and said, does this prove that there's a resurrection? The fact that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
And additionally, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I think many people might say, well, maybe it does, but I think the safer thing is to not go that far. Well, if you think of uh, good interpretation as being this narrow road and there being two ditches, one of not reading what scripture has for us and two, reading too much into scripture, uh, there is no safer ditch when you consider that Jesus is willing to say, have you not read? And to put that burden on us to find everything that there is available to us in scripture. So uh, that's just one thing I want to start off with saying that there is no there is no safer ditch here. Uh, so what uh, what is the context of Matthew 10, 8? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you receive without paying, give without pay. So many people would say, well, the context is miracles. This only applies to miracles. But in the verse just before that, you have the statement and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is one of the activities that is regulated by the command freely give. This is not just miracles, but also the proclamation of the gospel. So, uh, so teaching is likewise regulated by this. And as we come to this passage, and this is a prototypical mission, right? This is a, the first mission. It has the capacity to direct us in thinking about all subsequent missions. Uh, and it should. And that's why people come to this passage to learn about evangelism. And they see commands like shake the dust off your feet. And even though they recognize that this was said to the first apostles, uh, they recognize that there's something there for us to glean as well. And so what is the thing that makes this command freely give different from some of the other commands? What is it that gives us more of an eternal quality? And I would say that the primary thing is that a rationale is given. Freely you have received, freely give. It is still the case that we have freely received uh, enlightenment from the Holy Spirit. And so it is still the case that we should be freely imparting this enlightenment. You see this through the rest of the passage too. Why is it that we are still to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves? Because it is still the case that we are sent out as sheep among wolves. Why it is still the case that we should be expecting persecution? Because it is still the case that a servant is not greater than his master. Why is it still the case that we should not fear man? Because it is still the case that man cannot destroy the soul and it's still the case that we are of more value than sparrows. Now, uh, someone might at this point say, but that doesn't apply to the command freely give because while this person already has the gospel and I've already given them the gospel, what I'm imparting to them now is some additional teaching that goes beyond that, some biblical teaching that goes beyond the gospel. And I may have worked hard for this in seminary, spent a lot of money uh, either writing or gathering this material or studying. And so how can that apply to something that I haven't freely be given, been given? Uh, consider the words of 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So when we are uh, teaching as pastors or as ministers, uh, what we are trying to impart is some, not uh, a catalog of propositions that can be naturally imparted. It is instead a, an attempt to impart something that requires the spirit to teach it. We don't teach in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And additionally, I think that those who would try to uh, make a hard distinction between the gospel and other biblical teaching, uh, that that could be a very unwise project. 
because all of scripture has a direct relationship to the gospel. Uh, consider 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where Paul says, and I decide to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. And yet in Acts 20, 26 through 27, he tells the Ephesians that he would have blood on his hands if he did not share the whole counsel of God. I don't believe that Paul had blood on his hands in Corinth. I believe he did impart the whole counsel of God. And the implication of that is that the whole counsel of God is Christ and him crucified. And so even in other passages of scripture, uh, there we should find the gospel as well. Uh, even in the law, it points forward to the one who would satisfy the law. As Jesus said in Luke 24, that uh, all of the law, uh, the scripture, um, sorry, the law, the, the Psalms, uh, the prophets, they all point to him. And so if all of scripture uh, has this direct relation to the gospel, can we put a price on any of it? Uh, uh, now, there's several historical arguments I uh, could make at this point. I didn't think I would have time, but I actually do have time. So <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll throw those out. Um, uh, first of all, uh, let's see here. Uh, consider that Jesus, I do not believe, is uh, merely offering a new ethic. Rather, he's confirming a rabbinic ethic that already existed. Uh, scholars are not altogether uh, uh, united on what exactly the rabbinic ethic around money and ministry is, uh, but there are a few uh, passages from the Talmud that are uh, particularly relevant here. Uh, Netarim 37a2 says, uh, it interprets Deuteronomy 4.5, it paraphrases it as saying, just as I teach you for free without payment, so too you also shall teach for free. Uh, Becker wrote uh, 29a, excuse me, 29a8, uh, also interprets Deuteronomy 4.5 as saying, just as I learned from God for free, so too you learn from me for free. And then it goes on to say that even if someone paid for teaching, they should still offer their teaching for free. So uh, I don't believe that Jesus is offering something entirely new, but confirming something that already existed. And as such, he's not saying that this is a one-time thing, but rather this, this ethic is to continue uh, guiding you. In addition, uh, in the book, uh, you can see that I uh, talk about the Didache, that the Didache uh, likely only drawing from Matthew and not from other New Testament books, uh, using even the phrase from Matthew 10.10, 10, uh, the worker is worthy of his food, says that if someone uh, comes and asks for money in exchange for teaching that you're to consider them a, a false prophet. And so you have uh, that first century writing outside of the Bible that is confirming this. And then throughout Christian history and responses to simony, uh, the sale of ordinations, almost universally, uh, those contending with that evil were willing to point to this verse as addressing it. And so if it addresses more than just uh, if, it, if they would expand it to addressing uh, something that's even outside of teaching, how much more does it apply to teaching if this was one of the go-to arguments for the church in contending with that particular evil? Um, and so uh, just in conclusion, I'd like to say that uh, the presentation of our message is reflective of our message. Uh, the gospel of free grace must be offered freely. And likewise, all the teaching that surrounds this gospel of free grace that reinforces that gospel of free grace must be offered freely. And we recognize this in other areas where we wouldn't charge for a sermon. We wouldn't uh, say that, well, the sermon is free, but the pew isn't. And we would charge for sitting in the pew and we would frown on the previous generations who did have those practices, right? There was uh, a time when it was quite popular to have pew rents. Um, if we would frown on them, 
then what is it that makes our practice difference once again? Uh, we, we must uh, freely give because we have freely received this enlightenment from the spirit. Thank you. Excellent. Well, you finished up there with one minute to spare so uh, that you can uh, be proud of yourself. You stuck to your time. So congratulations on that. And I want to say this, um, I, because you do have a minute left, I want to ask you before we allow Steve to jump in and give his opening, I want to, I want to simply clarify something for people who maybe are just tuning in. Maybe they are not familiar with you or with your book. Um, you do believe that ministry should be given for free, but you don't believe that ministers are not to be supported by their gospel ministry. And therefore, you make the distinction in the book, as I said earlier, between what you would call co-labor and reciprocity. Co-labor being when people come together to support a minister and what he's doing in the ministry that is being done through the through the local church or, or whatever the ministry is, but not where he is charging for that ministry. And you see the distinction there. Um, I, I just want to make that right. clear to the audience that people understand that you're, you're not saying that someone like myself who is paid by paid as a minister is necessary that I'm living in sin or something. Can you, can you just speak right. to that for 30 seconds? Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Just like you said in the beginning, I make a distinction between reciprocity and co-labor. Matthew 10, 9 through 10 comes immediately after Matthew 10, 8. Matthew 10, 8 obviously says freely give. Matthew 10, 10 says a worker is worthy of his food. So you have Jesus putting these two right next to each other. This is appropriate way of raising support. This is an inappropriate way of raising support. Exchanging the gospel for money, forbidden. Uh, being supported by others uh, who would desire to see this ministry go forward. That is uh, commended and uh, encouraged. Wonderful. Thank you. I just wanted to be, again, be clear yes, for those. That's appreciated. Who, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Steve, well, I'm going to turn things over to you now. You're going to be coming from a different perspective. And uh, just for a moment, you, you, I, I, I have to ask this before you begin. When this all began as a conversation between you and Conley, is that correct? Uh, how, did this, how, did this, how did this conversation come together? He he reached out to me, I think, on Facebook and offered me a copy of the book to review since I sometimes post reviews online, and he noticed that. Okay, good. Okay. And so this was one of the areas in the book that you had uh, a disagreement about regarding prescriptive versus descriptive in Matthew 10 8? Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, we're going to give you the opportunity to uh, give your perspective uh, as opposed to what Conley just gave, and I'm, I'm going to start the clock right now. All right, I am not known for keeping on time, so let's see if I can do it up today. Um, I used to be a Baptist, maybe that's the problem. Uh, not so sure, uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, I don't wanna to draw too, well, actually I wanna distinguish between command or imperative and application. And so while I might deny that this is prescriptive, that doesn't mean it doesn't have application to us as we uh, think about bringing the gospel to other people. I think it does still have application. I just don't think it's a uh, prescriptive text for us today. And so let's get to that. First, looking at the bigger picture of Matthew 10, then I'm going to just kind of focus in a little bit on this word, uh, Dorian, that's in the Greek. And uh, first, what we find is, uh, yes, it is the preaching of the kingdom that is taking place here. 
And what's happening is that the disciples are being sent out essentially as an advanced team for Jesus's ministry. And so he's going to uh, send them ahead of himself to a number of different towns. And uh, sorry, we got some kids running around. Um, not my, my kids, other pastor kids. Uh, <laughs> not, a, but, uh, not a problem, brother. That's one of the great things about podcasts is we open up our lives to each other and we are vulnerable. So don't worry one bit. Keep going. All right. So sort of like the Billy Graham advanced team in that sense. And so Jesus is sending them out and uh, he does offer commands to them in this rather, I believe, uh, unique situation uh, that he sends them. Um, and part of the commands there, uh, not just simply having to do with don't, you know, having to do with uh, raising the dead, performing miracles, which were attesting to the reality of the kingdom that was coming, uh, but also, for instance, uh, do not depart from the way to Gentiles or Samaritans. Uh, part of what is unique about this ministry is that it is still simply for the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, at this point, they were not to include the Gentiles, and though, though we see that that will come later. And so uh, this is a unique period uh, within the, the earthly ministry of Jesus and the ministry for his disciples. So uh, mission that is limited at this point to Jesus, uh, sorry, to the uh, people of Israel, we do see a nice little touch base with uh, the Great Commission, kind of that as you are going thing on this trip, and they're commanded to preach, and that's good. Um, so I don't want to just excise one command from all of these commands and say this one still is binding the rest. No. And so I, I think we do have uh, an issue there um, in terms of just how we're addressing this particular text uh, because of its unique place, uh, not from a dispensational framework as though this doesn't apply to Gentiles, but with, real, with respect to the particular events, not its place within the canon. Uh, since it's similar to, for instance, the, the church I was uh, visiting on Sunday, uh, he mentioned Exodus 16, uh, the manna from heaven that's coming, and there's a command that's there. Uh, they were commanded not to keep the food overnight. And from that, you know, here it is, it's, it's because it's manna, uh, a particular way in which God is providing for his people. It is not meant to be taken beyond the giving of the manna, to never have leftovers, although, of course, in that day, it was probably always dicey to have leftovers, uh, but this is not a command to uh, avoid leftovers. We understand that with Matthew 16, but I think we have the same issue here. Uh, I hope that that makes sense. Um, part of what is going on in the last section here is the reality of their dependence upon God. They were to rely upon God completely uh, so they're not to bring a purse, they're not to bring extra money, they're not to bring even extra clothes on this trip, it's, and we wouldn't say that those things are also commands that we should obey if we happen to go evangelizing, that we are to go with nothing, and to rely upon the kindness of a stranger to take us in because we're worthy uh, of our wages or our food or hire. And so, unfortunately, some people have taken that as a command, for instance, Francis of Assisi, uh, the mendicant monks that uh, were under his authority. That's what they did. They begged for bread. 
Uh, they didn't receive salaries. They didn't bring anything extra. Uh, they embraced uh, poverty as part of their way of life. Um, and in fact, they would be these Francis and his monks were often supplied by people that they met. And the disciples, fortunately, were supplied by people that they met. So what I'm not saying is that there's no commands that are not binding to us in places like Matthew's gospel. There are commands that clearly are binding upon us. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. There are clear indications within that command that it is not limited to uh, the disciples or the audience that is present at that particular command. Same thing with the Great Commission. There's textual evidence right there. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So that last part of it indicates that part of the process of making disciples is to command, is to teach them how to obey, including that call to go and make disciples. And so we see that there are prescriptive commands in Matthew's gospel. It gets back to context. I forgot to write down when I started. How much time I got left? Sorry, I had to unmute myself. You, you still have five good minutes. So keep All going. right, five good minutes. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things as well is uh, in, in your book, you talk about uh, the Greek adverb that is there, uh, Dorian, freely. Undeserved, undeservedly. And you do note uh, some of the texts that have to do with the idea of commerce. Uh, but out of, out of the other uh, seven instances that it's used in the New Testament, uh, we do find that three of them don't have anything to do with commerce, don't have anything to do with money. For instance, uh, John 15, 25, they hated Jesus without cause, is how it is translated. Uh, without justification, uh, they, they it was undeserved their hatred for Jesus. It had nothing to do with money. Similarly, we see in Romans 3.24 that we are justified freely by his grace, undeservedly and un unreservedly as well. Uh, we see, uh, for instance, as well, Galatians 2.21 is another one that clearly uh, is that Christ, if we're not saved by grace through faith, Christ died for nothing, um, without cause, without justification. Without. So we, we see that this word freely does not only have the idea of commerce at play. Uh, I haven't looked at those Talmudic, uh, the, the Talmud that you, you quoted from. Uh, that's some interesting things for me to chew on in the future. Um, but I can see how Jesus is also kind of talking about the fact of you received these things without qualification, so much of what we talk about, the very first point of TULIP, okay, unconditional election, you receive this, give it freely in that sense, that sense as well, unreservedly, uh, don't put conditions on people before you offer them the gospel, similar to what we see in the marrow controversy in the Church of Scotland um, that uh, some of you might be familiar with. Um, I think you can 
follow the Dorian principle, but still have a problem with the commercialization of Christianity. Um, and, and I think this is part of, I guess I'm going beyond this text a little bit, um, but the reality from uh, Colossians 2 that rules don't solve the problem of the heart. And we can keep externally the, I, these, this principle, this Dorian principle, but there still be a problem. And hopefully I have enough time for this tiny little story. Uh, when I was in seminary in Orlando, uh, my worship class, we had to go uh, to uh, three different worship services outside of our comfort zone. At that particular point in time, Benny Hinn was still had his base of operations in Orlando. And so I figured, well, I'll go some night. And so I went to an evening service. He wasn't there. Beauchambeau, I think, was the guy who was there. And I was there about 90 minutes. Uh, and during that time, uh, there were two offerings. Uh, not one, two, each of which was preceded by this little sermonette about why you should give. And largely, as you might imagine, it was you give in order to get. Uh, there was also a infant dedication and a nice trashing of of uh, pedo-baptists, and at that point I was still a Baptist, but I never got to the sermon. I left after 90 minutes because I had to, I still had schoolwork to do that night, and there is, I, I think, a, a, a big violation, the, the greed that concerned, that both of us are concerned about was evident, even though there was essentially a following of this framework of they're collecting the money, they're dispersing the money. So it looks a lot like the Dorian principle is, is being practiced, but, in yet, but yet there's greed on the part of the people, I think, because they're, getting, they're giving to get, as well as greed on the part of the church and its leadership. So uh, I guess I'll stop there. All right, my friend, well, you stopped with just shy of a minute to go. And thank you for that story. I was going to ask you about the Benny Hinn story because you did mention in our pre-show uh, conversation that we had a few weeks ago, you said you wanted to make sure you told the Benny Hinn story. <laughs> and uh, I just have to say, wow, when you took the, you took the professor's um, advice to heart, when he said, go outside of your comfort zone, you were not kidding because I'm not sure I'd be able to go and spend much much time out of the bathroom vomiting if I had to go listen to a Benny Hinn crusade. So. <laughs> well, to be fair, they hadn't gotten to uh, all of the uh, pyrotechnics, so to speak, by the time I left. So, you know, no one was flinging their jacket. No one was falling down on the ground or anything like that. So you didn't get to see the bodies. You didn't get to see the bodies at the floor, huh? No, no. But I like that video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, gentlemen, you've both had the opportunity to share your opening uh, statements, and I want to say both of them were very well put together. Thank you both for taking the time to prepare for tonight. And now what I want to do is I want to just, I'm going to engage you both with a, with a preemptive question, and then I'm going to let you ask one another question. So I'm just going to, I'm going to ask, because I, I, I was taking notes as well, and I know I'm not, I'm not I know I'm not part of the the exchange, but I, I, I was uh, told that I was going to get to ask questions too. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask uh, both of you one question just to, just to start the questions flowing. And then I'm going to ask you to begin to uh, engage with one another. And we will do it in the form of uh, uh, once you've asked your question, give the person time to respond. Please don't talk over one another, especially on zoom. It's very difficult. If one of us starts talking 
it ends up muting the others and, and the people at home can't hear us. So uh, it makes sure that we're getting an opportunity. So uh, I want to I want to go back to something that Conley said in his opening statement, and this was actually referred to by Steve and yours. You, you were uh, referring to it as well. You mentioned the Talmud. You mentioned that you believe that it's possible that Jesus was actually citing something from the Talmud when he when he spoke of freely giving uh maybe not citing but maybe i'm misstating that because i just saw you yeah i think that would be a bit anachronistic but um <laughs> but yeah there was already well, an existing ethic yeah. yeah i'm sorry yeah but um the idea that i'm that i wanted to, to ask you was you said that that was that there was a an existing ethic but that there were disagreements would you say that there were those who would say that charging for ministry was right and 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 proper because you said there were disagreements were those were there those who were arguing for the other side well certainly there were sophists uh and people who would do that kind of thing but um i was talking about like scholarly modern scholarly agreement so i don't want oh, to okay. assert too strongly I, this is not you know my big point i just want to throw that out there for consideration and i, I don't expect steve to respond to it no that's fine i, I just make so you're not saying that there's art so that, that, that there would be different ethic among the rabbis you're saying there's different interpretation among modern scholars right and there may have been different uh among the rabbis but there is enough evidence to to think that jesus was confirming a practice that already existed in a context where uh those outside of you know judaism would have had a different ethic of traveling philosophers the peripatetics okay Wonderful. That, 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 that answers my question. All right, Steve, uh, I'm going to ask you this, and, and I hope I'm not taking a question away from Conley, but, but, but good question is a good question, no matter where it comes from. So uh, you, you mentioned that um, the, the word Dorian not only means freely, but, but in the idea, it also means undeservedly, meaning no conditions. And you referenced the marrow controversy. Now, I'm familiar with that, but I, I'm, I'm certain that there's going to be audience members who aren't. Can you take just a, a, a few seconds and just sort of explain what you meant by making that reference, if you, if you, if you feel like you can do it in just a, a short time? Wow. It's uh, <laughs> a tall order in a sense. Uh, what, really what the Mara controversy centered around in the Church of Scotland in the day of uh, Thomas Boston, uh, who was one of the central figures along with the Erskine brothers, uh, there had been a sort of hyper-Calvinist movement within the Church of Scotland, uh, such that they began to require sort of evidences or signs that someone might be elect prior to offering them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Thomas Boston and the others uh, spoke about the free offer of the gospel, that we are to indiscriminately uh, spread the gospel to, to people, not wait for signs and evidences that they might be elect. Um, so uh, that ended up causing huge problems uh, within the Church of Scotland as it became increasingly legalistic. Uh, and the Erskine brothers in particular ended up leaving uh, the Church of Scotland and forming another denomination. And uh, part of that heritage lives on in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, which I used to be a pastor in. So, Excellent. All right. Church. Thank you so much. That, that's helpful for, for everyone, I'm sure. I want to mention also that uh, we have a listener viewer who is uh, with us. Her name is Rachel Ramey. She has made two comments on our YouTube page, and one of them has come in the form of a question. 
So since we are at the point of questions and I've already got to answer a question or ask a question, I know you haven't asked each other questions yet, but I do wanna involve the audience as much as we can. I'm gonna go ahead and say, first of all, Rachel, thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, she said this, she said, quote, there is no safer ditch is a great phrase. She was quoting Conley there. So she's encouraging what, uh, by what you said, uh, Conley. But she also asked this, she said, can Conley clarify if we're being careful not to draw too harsh a distinction between the gospel and other biblical teaching, what is or isn't the distinction between ministry and business? Yeah, good question. Um, first of all, just to address the distinction between uh, the gospel and other biblical teaching, I do want to make it clear that I don't believe the gospel is the law or any anything like that, right? I guess what I'm uh, guarding against is what I would call the milk-meat fallacy that says, uh, the gospel is the milk that you give to the baby infant. And then all this other teaching that goes beyond the gospel is later. It, it's the gospel through and through. And if you look at uh, Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, it is these elemental things not understood fully in the light of the gospel that are the milk. And it is the gospel, uh, a gospel-centered view of these things that is the meat that grows the Christian to maturity. Um, so anyway, that's why I mentioned that. But the, the other question about uh, the distinction between uh, ministry and business. Uh, I've admitted on a lot of my podcasts, that this is probably like one of the most difficult gray areas to discern. Uh, and, uh, and what I hope is that people can agree with the principle, even if we end up in different places with the application. I've made the analogy often to uh, the regulative principle of worship. A lot of us are going to come on different sides of what exactly that looks like in practice, even if we agree to the principle itself. So uh, take whatever I say with a grain of salt. But uh, the phrase I use is uh, whatever is gospel proclamation or directly attends to gospel proclamation. And uh, I didn't intentionally get this phrase from uh, any historical sources, although I had read some that say something very similar. And uh, when going back after having written the book and reading again, I realized there's a phrase that uh, runs throughout uh, writings on simony, uh, beginning at least with Peter Lombard, if not going back further, uh, that says that anything spiritual should not be sold or anything annexed to a spiritual thing. Uh, so it's pretty similar to what I'm saying. Um, so that's that's why I say now, how direct, you know, does something have to be before or how indirect before it's no longer related to uh, the gospel presentation? Um, uh, I don't I don't have uh, all the answers to that. For example, you know, if you write a Christian worship song, I really do believe that that should be offered freely and that you shouldn't be charging people so that they can sing the song in worship. Uh, now, if you write the song uh, so that it's a little less worship oriented, it's a little more secular, you know, at what point, at what point in that spectrum of, you know, this is just to entertain, do you cut this off and say, okay, yeah, this is secular. They don't, uh, they're free to charge for this. I, I don't know the answers to these things and I don't think anyone can make a, some kind of guaranteed final uh, determined answer. But I'd say one thing is that if you want to call it a ministry, then you should be doing so, uh, the word I use in the book is sincerely, uh, with no, uh, no strings attached, no ulterior motive. And if you're going to have an ulterior motive, if you're, if you're going to be charging for it, then I don't think you should call it a ministry. So I'll just end with that. Okay, that's, that was a great answer to the question, but I, I see Steve looks like he has some thoughts, and I want to give Steve an opportunity to maybe 
come come alongside and um, and maybe give your your thoughts on that. I do I do think Conley is being uh, honest when he says he doesn't have all the answers, but I but uh, but still we're here to ask questions. So brother, please please uh, give us your thoughts and then maybe ask a question that we can deal with. Well, I, it certainly is something we're thinking about, and uh, clearly there are things that rub us the wrong way. Uh, you know, the, the musicians, for instance, who uh, have a worship service and do charge money. You know, it's a concert. <laughs> but they talk about it in terms of worship and ministry. And so, yeah, there is a lot of, of blurring the lines that can take place uh, oftentimes. And, and one of the things that I, I guess I struggled with when I was uh, reading the book a little bit, and it wasn't it's just trying to think it through. It wasn't anything he actually said. Uh, but for instance, I think authors should get compensated for their time. Uh, I have an unpublished, actually I have three unpublished books, but you know, the, the one that matters to me is uh, I spent a lot of time doing this and I would like to be compensated, but the purpose I'm doing it for is not simply to make money. The, the purpose is ministry. Um, uh, and that really gets to uh, back back to the heart. What's what's going on? Is this really a ministry, or is this uh, something under the guise of ministry that makes money? And that that can be hard to to sort out sometimes, particularly with the fact that <clears throat> many of these things that go beyond the local church uh, end up in businesses whose they're there to make money. And so, uh, for instance, with um, the prayer of Jabez, a uh, similar thing happened with Sacred Romance. They became cottage industries. It wasn't just the book. Now you've got the devotional and the daily calendar and this and that. And it just was all of these things. Uh, and I, maybe I'm too cynical. Uh, I have been accused of being that. <laughs> and I, it, it fits. But that seems like more about let's find ways to make more money, not let's find more ways to do ministry. Uh, and, and perhaps I'm unfairly characterizing both of those scenarios. And if so, God will remind me. So, so one of the phrases you used in the blog post was uh, the, the danger of straining at gnats, right? And so I, I totally agree with that, that, uh, yeah, this is not just some new platform for all kinds of legalism. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to offer here. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's all I have to say there. Um, for uh, well, let me let me say that again. I guess the reason why it might seem like that when I'm uh, going through the application is because I'm trying to anticipate the questions that people are naturally going to have. One of the most common comments I got was that they wanted more application. They have all kinds of questions they want answers to, but I'm trying to avoid that because I don't want to strain at gnats, right? Like I want to, I want to offer what I think are some applications, but I really want to put this principle forward. I don't necessarily want to be the one to figure out what all the detailed applications are and then uh, end up really missing it because I've, I've, uh, like you said, overanalyzed. Um, uh, you, were, you were talking about your book, and uh, and then uh, you were also talking about the word Dorian, right? Uh, that it could mean, uh, you know, in an unqualified sense. Wouldn't you say that like money is still a qualification if, if this person can't receive your writing? 
I assume when you're talking about getting compensated, you don't mean it in the way that I uh, talk about in the book, co-labor, you know, being compensated by people working alongside of you through Kickstarter, Patreon, or your own church or whatever. You mean by charging for it. And so uh, wouldn't that be a qualified uh, giving of your teaching? In a sense, it uh, can be, uh, but there's also libraries where people can, for free of charge, check them out. Churches can buy them and give them away. Uh, we've done that with some other books. Um, so it, it is hard to, to sort out. Um, what, in, in, yeah, trying to think, sorry. As no I worries. Myself. Um, it's, it's hard to, I guess the, the heart is deep and motives are sometimes mixed. So it's hard to right. figure that out. Right. Then, just thinking about the question though, of, you know, if there's some person out there who de decides not to read your book because it costs, even if it's just $5 or something, right? Like, yeah. isn't that, um. I don't know. It, isn't that like a leave a little bitter taste in your mouth, though? That the thing that was the thing that the barrier in front of them was not because you you know desired money. You probably would have given it to them for free if you had known you know that. But but you've got this barrier there so that they can't receive it for free. Yeah. Um, It gets, it does get murky. And that also in that sense of, I'm not, I'm not being prohibited, for instance, like in most of the instances that people who have read this book, they'd already be Christians. So they're not prohibited from the gospel. They'd be, I guess, prohibited perhaps from um, maybe growing in this particular area. Okay. Great. Um, of course, I just found out someone wrote a very similar book. This <laughs> is I already read uh, this is what happens to me. It's, it's really funky. Um, so, but yeah, I, I understand what you're getting at. And that can be hard to think about. Am I, am I limiting the, the ministry that God intends uh, by this process that while God foresaw, uh, God did not speak to uh the authors of scripture, the human authors of scripture, to be clear, uh, concerning, because we, they probably wouldn't have understood it at all. The, the, the idea of mass produced books, uh, although scrolls were very expensive. So, and that limited, uh, I'm sure, uh, people being able to study the Torah and then the New Testament. So there was an economic reality there, but it wasn't, as you, to be fair to you, it wasn't a charging, so to speak, of the church charging. Uh, money to to get ministry let me jump in guys i want to uh i, I do want to uh, engage this just a little further because i, I want to clarify especially from from something that conley is 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 sort of sort of going toward um when steve says um he said i want to make sure i'm saying it correctly he said he said when i'm when I, i'm spending the time to write this book i feel like i should be compensated that that was he, that was what he said I think that's a fair statement. I think that's I think what he's saying is true that that our time is is important. Um, and I would say this, you know, the Bible talks about the the uh, the minister 
uh, being worthy of double honor, especially he who labors and preaching and teaching. And we would say the labor of preaching and teaching is labor. All of us preach. All of us know how hard it is to prepare sermons, to prepare books, to prepare these things. And while we are like myself, I'm, I'm paid as a pastor and I, and I preach and I'm supported through that. Um, if I were to write a book, there's, there's no support that's going to support that in, in, in the economy that is the structure of today. I know that you give your book away freely, Conley, um, but I'm certain that, the, that all of the books that are being given away have not been paid for by you. Now, I may be wrong, but you, have you paid personally for all the books that are being given away? No, my church did. Okay. okay. And, so and, the the, uh, and, and the publishing entity, uh, which is a network of church, which is uh, through a network of churches, they're the ones uh, paying for the shipping. Okay. And, and the reason why I'm asking that is because have you personally been compensated for the right? And, and, and you may not want to answer this question. It's maybe too personal. And you can say, you can say, plead the fifth, but, but have you been personally compensated for the re for the writing of your book because, or, or is it just part of your gift to the church, I, I guess? Yeah, it's just part of my gift to the church. You know, I'm in a unique situation being uh, bivocational and not just part-time bivocational, but full-time. So I don't have uh, the same kind of needs that someone might who is taking this from uh, from the hours that they would otherwise be working. Uh, otherwise, I might press my church and ask them for, for more support, and I think they would be very willing. Okay, but that's the way that you, that, that's the answer you would give if, if, if somebody is in the situation where Steve is, and Steve is saying, I think that there's compensation that is deserved. And I, th and, I, and, I, and I agree with Steve in that regard. I do think that time is money in the sense that, that we, we, de we devote time to things. And that time is, is, is time that we've taken away from our family. It's time that we've taken away from our church, time that we've taken, you know, sitting down to write a book is, is, is a multi, you know, sometimes it takes years to, to write a book. And, and this isn't the same as, uh, as, as something that might not be as, and again, I'm not defending either position. I'm just throwing this out as a, as a question. And I, and I know you already said you don't have all the answers and that's fine. I'm just, what would it look like if Steve received compensation, but it wasn't from the selling of the book? Yeah, it would either be from uh, his church, from a network of churches, from individuals on some kind of modern uh, crowdfunding site like Kickstarter or Patreon. It could be, it could be really anything that's, uh, that's simply not that uh, royalty model that has only existed since the mid 18th century. Uh, the, way, the way this used to be done is that uh, authors would put a dedication in the beginning. And then, you know, if that rich uh, Duke or whatever wanted to um, <laughs> continue funding their work, uh, they would. So yeah, there's all kinds of ways to make that happen. Steve, you gotta find, you gotta find your rich Duke. I, I guess. Uh, but, you know, guys, guys like well, let, me, let me just say really quickly that I, I, I do think that workers worthy of his wages, and I would hope that Steve's very well compensated for any work that he does. Uh, you know, there, there are people like Gary Thomas who are scholars in residence, and that's their job is to write books. And so I don't know if they get royalties or not, uh, but that is one way it could work. Uh, in my particular situation, I was not, I'm not paid by the church to write. This is, this is something I would write in the evenings when I'm not working or on vacation and stuff like that. So um, uh, I don't know, but it sounds great. <laughs> he does it at time. <laughs> um, so well, well, let me yes, ask you this. If there's a rich patron out there, let me know. Uh, yes, uh, if there's a rich Duke, uh, Steve is on the lookout for a rich Duke 
who is willing to support his his writing. And if I find one, brother, I'll uh, I'll I'll send them your way. I, I want to ask you this, Steve. Uh, what do you think about things like uh, software, which seems to be really expensive. I mean, the software that, that, that is now sold for church ministers, sometimes sometimes in tens of thousands of dollars for digital information. What are your thoughts about that in regard to this subject? Do you think that those are exorbitant prices? Do you think those are fair? Do you think that that is something, I mean, because digital, it's not like paper and ink that costs money, but we are, we are, we are purchasing someone else's work so do you have a thought about that? Is it, am I coming from left field on that? Um, I, I have thoughts. It's a little bit uh, out of left field, maybe. I'm not sure. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, there are people who've put a lot of work into this uh, who should be compensated. I, I guess I view it not as withholding the gospel from people so much as this is a tool for a vocation. And um, it, it's too much money for me to buy that tool. Uh, yeah. I wish I could have that tool uh, to a degree. Um, but people survived without that tool and will continue to survive without that tool, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, recently on a, I do another podcast called Not Only Water, which is for its minist- practical advice for young ministers. And I actually talked about some of the free tools that are available now that are that are really good and there are really good free tools like bible hub and uh, blue letter bible and things like that that if a minister doesn't have money there are tools that he can use um conley do you think that's the direction that these other things should be going or what what i mean you know speak to that for a minute yeah Yeah, there's a I do talk about uh, Bible study platforms in the book, and I do think that uh, they ought to be regulated by this ethic as well. A lot of times uh, what they're doing is, and they're certainly putting work into these things, you know, they're, they're tagging, uh, you know, Calvin's institutes, and then they're charging $70 for it. I'm not sure the, the tagging is worth uh, that much, <laughs> but regardless, my point still is not how much it's worth. It is, uh, is it appropriate to, um, uh, work for the spiritual edification of the church in such a way where you are not being uh, supported by uh, by co-labors, but rather uh, through reciprocity. And maybe something to consider here is uh, Steve is, um, has made several times this distinction either between the gospel and other teaching or uh, those who have already received the gospel and those who haven't. One thing that I find interesting in Matthew 10 is the fact that when he's sending people to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting is that they're not lost. They're not all lost in the sense uh, that we would use the word, right? There are probably some who know the gospel preached beforehand at Abraham. I'm sure pretty much all of them did. And some who even believed it. And that's why you have some of them being, you know, sons of peace or a worthy house where they're supposed to go and and uh, stay and receive. So, uh, yeah, I think that the fact that this ethic regulates what are the visible people of God, right? Because we can't see the hearts, right? We, we can't know, um, you know, who is reading this book exactly, uh, even, if, even if they say they're Christian, right? And these people that Jesus is sending them to in that initial mission are the visible people of God. So the fact that this ethic regulated the visible people of God and in the first mission, I don't know why we would uh, say, well, this is only to those who, who don't have the gospel or only to those who are not part of the people of God. 
Steve, why don't you uh, jump in on that? Because this gets back to the original conversation of the debate, who Jesus is talking to and what he's talking about. Yeah. I guess, I guess in my uh, very non-well-formed thoughts, uh, I guess it has to do with, um, are we withholding salvation from somebody by this? Um, or, or are we perhaps withholding um, you know, the, the SE of salvation versus the bene SE, so to speak, the progression uh, in sanctification? And so I don't know if that's a helpful distinction or if it's a horrible distinction. It's, it is just a very seminal thought. So I'm, I'm not going to die on this hill. I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying, though, Stephen, and, and, and maybe I'll, I'll form it a little differently. Conley, what if a person wrote a book on, um, let's say, an archaeologist who is a Christian, writes a book on the archaeology of the Gospel of Luke, and so it would benefit anyone who is studying, like I did my doctoral dissertation on Luke. So let's say I was doing my dissertation, and I had to purchase his book, which was an archaeology book, to benefit me in my work on my dissertation is is he and I know that this is so nitpicky, but I, but this right. is the, this is the type of questions people have, and I think this this is at the heart of what Steve is saying, because that's not a gospel issue. That's a that's a historical, archaeological, maybe you know dealing with persons, places, things. It's going to help, but it's certainly not keeping me from anything salvific. What what are your thoughts? Right. Yeah. I wouldn't make the distinction, you know, what is salvific versus what is not, but rather what is uh, wisdom imparted by the spirit, like we were, uh, like I was mentioning that verse in 1 Corinthians 2, versus that which is merely secular. Now, the, the interesting thing about this question is that there is some relation to the gospel, right? The gospel of Luke in particular. Uh, however, all things in creation have some relation to the gospel, and uh, they're all going to, if taught rightly, have some framing in light of uh, the truth of God. So, but if you make everything holy and everything, you know, sacred, then nothing is. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that. And I would think that an example like archaeology would be something where you'd be free to, uh, uh, you'd be free to uh, charge for something like that. Now, if you go about calling this a ministry for the edification of the church, and then are charging for that, I think you're sending a lot of mixed messaging though. Okay. Uh, Rachel has uh, engaged with us again on YouTube, and she has uh, written, I want to read to our audience what she has written. She says, I've always appreciated a hybrid approach, essentially representing the concept that ideas should be free, but that the work of, say, formatting materials, etc., aren't necessarily. So, for instance, those who sell books but offer their ebooks free of charge or everything's available on a blog if you want to dig for it. But if you want it all neatly packaged, you pay for that. What are your thoughts about that, um, uh, Conley? Do you think that, that if, if they're making it free in one sense, but it's not free in every sense, is that still violating the Dorian principle in your mind? Right. Or, or another way of thinking about that is the teaching is free, but the uh, but these you know secular materials or whatever that that create it are not necessarily free. Uh, so the phrase I use is anything that directly attends to gospel proclamation. Um, so I, and uh, once again, going back to that example of simony, there were a lot of times where people wouldn't charge for the ordination, but they would charge uh, an obscene amount for the paper that was required to do the certification for the ordination, right? So that they could get around that. Um, I, I do think that this regulates it. Now, on, 
on the other hand, the way this used to work prior to the mid 18th century is that uh, the author was not in the publisher were very distinct entities, right? So the author writes this thing, the publisher publishes it because they think they can make money out of it. And the author is not getting any royalties out of it. So they're not getting any benefit. And so you have the secular entity uh, publishing, charging money for a secular activity of typesetting, binding, et cetera. And so if someone decided to put their book up on CreateSpace, where, uh, you know, CreateSpace is the one printing, they're the one shipping and, you know, and they've put their, uh, they put their EPUB somewhere else so that you can get that for free. I wouldn't have a principled objection to that. Although I do think that there's value in making it clear uh, that we have this distinction. In fact, my publisher, I had, I had suggested this idea to my publisher, but, and they very much wanted to make it clear that this book was free in every way. And so they decided to, uh, to take up the, uh, the, um, the cost of shipping. So anyway, those are, the, uh, those are some of the concerns at play. And just one example. Uh, Paul, when he was teaching, he didn't say, okay, I'm not going to charge for the teaching, but I am going to charge for uh, food, right? Or I am going to charge for uh, my room and board, um, or not charge for it, but rather receive those things. Rather, he rejected those things when they were offered to him. So he made it clear that he in his entirety was, uh, was giving his ministry for free, not just the teaching. Sorry, I feel like I said that very poorly, but hopefully people will know what I said. No, no, it's okay. Steve, you look like you want to say something there. No, I actually moved. You're good. <laughs> okay. All right. Just, uh, well, we have, uh, I think that's all we have on the YouTube page. We did have a person who came in and said something that doesn't really re 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 regard what we're talking about. Looks like somebody just threw in some, it says, uh, well, not even going to, not even going to read it. Anybody in, in uh, YouTube land can go read that. looks like somebody's offering prayers of healing for people in our audience. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wonder how that's going to go. All right. So, uh, well, that is all I have in regard to listener questions. I, I do want to ask gentlemen, is there anything that you, either one of you hope that you would be able to ask the other one tonight that we have not had the opportunity to discuss? Uh, I'll let Steve go first. If there's anything. Uh, there's, there's nothing that comes to mind right now. Um, I think, one of the things I forgot to say when it came to that idea of you know, non-discriminately, uh, just the, some of the background of the, the pharisaical concept of grace as a merited thing, uh, similar to what we find in uh, Mormonism uh, today. And so that we have to, we have to consider that as well. Um, so what you're saying is you think when Jesus is talking about freely giving is, is he's, he's referencing that's what grace is, is it goes unmerited, not necessarily referring to that there's never a compensation involved, but that it's not a, uh, it's something that is not, um, it's something not earned or purchased. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and, you know, I think Conley did a good job in, in talking about how Paul's ministry took place and um, you know, the support coming from churches to reach other locations and uh, there's a lot for us to i think to think about in terms of how we go about ministry um particularly as our world is going to change uh i think particularly in this country um you know i i see a time you know we're moving we're already i think in post-christian america and what's unclear is how difficult it might be for christians in america and 
we may be shut out of a lot of those business endeavors and have to rethink about how we're going to make of make things available to people so they can hear the gospel leave the gospel and start to to live out the realities of the gospel um so and i think this can help start that conversation so thanks conley yeah you're welcome thanks for reading you're Conley, do you have any final thoughts, things you want to say to the audience, maybe as we begin to draw to a close? Uh, boy, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a few things here that were like uh, things I sort of wanted to respond to. But um, yeah, I, th I, I think I'll leave those and just, uh, yeah, just something that's come up a lot, right, is distinctions, right? And distinctions, especially between those who have received the gospel and those who have it and salvation and not salvation. And I just want to remind uh, people of the words that I mentioned in um, in First uh, Corinthians two twelve through thirteen. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Um, so that uh, I think that's important. Also, one more thing I'd like to add is uh, there was a there was a um, famous Anglican divine named Jer Jeremy Taylor who said that to say that uh, freely give uh, was temporal because the surrounding commands were temporal. It's like saying the Sabbath day must still be on Saturday because the surrounding commands are eternal. And then he said, uh, there's something that is spiritual of an eternal decency, rectitude and proportion in that passage. And uh, that's one thing I hope people take away is that there is uh, in saying freely you received, freely give. There's something of an eternal decency, rectitude, and proportion in that specific command that doesn't apply to the others. All right, my brothers. Well, I think that that is going to bring us to a close. We have gone for over an hour now. You gentlemen have made some great exchanges, some great conversation. Hopefully, both of you have caused one another to think through this issue more deeply. I know it's caused me to think through it more deeply, and our audience has been uh, small but active. So I want to thank Rachel for engaging. I want to thank Alexi for being with us. I want to thank, um, uh, well, even Phil who, who left that message. I want to thank uh, Eddie for being with us and also those who have been watching but not engaging. We've got several people who have left likes and, and uh, hearts and things like that. Rod and Charlene Hendricks, love you guys. Thank you for watching. Jay, thank you for being with us tonight and for being a part of the program. Now, I do want to mention, uh, I am uh, in contact with Steve and with Conley. And if anyone has anything that they would like to ask either of these men, you can contact me at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. I will gladly forward any questions that you have to them and your contact information so that they would be able to get back with you. Or, of course, if you want to leave a comment on this YouTube page or on the Facebook page, both of these gentlemen are my friends on Facebook. They'll be able to go in and look and see, and maybe they'll be able to interact with you through those comment boxes. So I want to, again, thank you both for taking time away from your families to be on Conversations with a Calvinist tonight. Thank you, Conley, for your hard work. Thank you, Steve, for your good questions and your good thoughts. Certainly uh, a good opportunity to, to really think through this issue, and certainly there's a lot more that we could talk about, but, uh, but we'll have to look forward to another time. So thank you, Conley. You're welcome. Thanks for organizing this.
Yes, sir. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for putting this together and doing all that techno stuff you do. <laughs> yes, sir. And thank you, audience, for being with me today, being with us today on Conversations with the Calvinists. Remember, we have a new program that comes out every Tuesday. And uh, sometimes we also do weekend editions on special events and activities. So keep your eyes out. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can go to Conversations with the Calvinists on our Facebook group and uh, you can log into that and connect to that. Uh, there's, there's no rules or anything. Just come on in and be a part of the conversation. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, on all of the regular podcasting platforms. And again, I want to thank you for listening to Conversations with the Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey. And I have been your Calvinist. May God richly bless you.